What's up, everybody? We are in June 2023, and this month's sponsor of the Spamming Zero podcast is Zowie. GetZowie.com. So what do they offer? They offer SMS, email, and chat for your customer support. They actually have a few different products that I want to go into just quickly, but also in addition to all that, they are an amazing advocate for AI and teaching people about AI. So they have an entire knowledge center that's called the AI Knowledge Center. You can subscribe to that. They provide a bunch of different material on many aspects of AI, not just related to the realm that they focus on. But here's some of their products. The first one is Zowie Automate, Zowie Care, Zowie Grow, and Zowie X1. And I find it really fascinating because their Grow product, for example, can turn every interaction that your agent has into a potential revenue stream. It's one of the most difficult things that we can do is trying to turn those interactions without it seeming like we're hard selling. Zowie helps you do that. Um, the automation piece is, is pretty simple. It just gets rid of the repetitive tasks. We talk a lot about that at Flip as well. They do it on the email, SMS, and chat. They also, on their website, have a one-minute chat chatbot builder. So go play around with that. Again, getzowie.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. Obviously, we're here each and every week. Um, we're bringing an old host back. I don't know if you can see him. Uh, You'll get to know him a little bit. Brian's back with us. And today we're joined by Connor McComb, who happens to be the team leader of customer experience at Essence. And we are going to be diving into a topic we have not yet talked about on the show about language and the barriers that it creates with our customer experience. Um, this was Connor's idea. So I'm super excited because he's passionate about it. Connor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, James and Brian. Real pleasure. What a blessing that you coming on was enough to revive me from the dead and get me yeah. a seat back at the table. It'd be See, funny so if this was like right around Easter too, if you had your your resurrection to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so many of our listeners may not know the reason why Brian hasn't been showing up, but it's because I fired him um, and I'm bringing him back because I think we finally figured out his sound stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good. I think I, I'm excited about this one. I'd love for you to start, Connor, to just tell the listeners a little bit about your background, um, why you're passionate about this topic too. Yes, definitely. So uh, hello and what is up, Spamming Zero. Uh, my name is Connor McComb. Again, as mentioned, I'm a team leader in customer experience at Essence. And to tell you guys a little bit more about what that is, Essence is a multi-brand retailer based in Montreal, Canada. Uh, we specialize in the sale of designer fashion and high-end streetwear, but uh, also expand to homeware technology, really everything else that fits our avant-garde brand identity. Um, and, and really, Essence is, is trying to provide a platform to showcase you know, high-end brands while really trying to avoid any of the, the snobbery or the aloofness that can often be associated with luxury fashion. So... A big part of what this company does is, you know, find those opportunities to support high-end brands, but do that in tandem with smaller emerging designers as well. So it's a nice collection. Um, always something really interesting, some wild stuff too. They definitely take risks. You'll you'll see some pretty extreme things on the website, <laughs> like, you know, massive 
uh, one piece outfits that might make you look like an ostrich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's designer fashion, you know, it, it all falls under that, that, that tailored brand. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I do for this company, in terms of my day to day, I manage, lead, and I inspire a personal team of agents that work on our frontline support to make sure everything's on track. So in addition to managing the daily operations uh, of, of our team, so doing queue monitoring, you know, various sort of check-ins to make sure the team's on track. Uh, and really beyond that, I'm sort of colloquially known within the team as the chat man. So I am very much the go-to person for all matters relating to our live chat services. Um, and of course, you know, we all have to start somewhere from that. So before I moved into my current position as a team leader, uh, worked the front lines as a customer care representative for a few years, handling calls, emails, chats, escalation calls, you know, all that fun stuff. So, so built my way up to it. Uh, and yeah, today I really want to explore the topic of language, uh, and the way that that develops trust within the customer experience. Um, I feel like this is something that is really, really important. Um, you know, it, that every touch point that you have with the brand, you know, across the websites, social media, you know, direct one-to-one -one client interactions to have that consistency in that language and to have really strong language across all of those channels. Um, and I feel like when, when, things are imbalanced or when things are out of sorts, that's when you can lose that trust of that customer that's engaging with you. So great, great introduction. Yeah. I, I, I want to start off today by um, having you tell us like, what is keeping you up at night right now in your role? Mm. Like there's a lot of other people that listen to this show that are in like almost your exact role. Um, what's keeping you up at night? That is a really good question. Um, and for this, I mean, like, I kind of wanted to to pivot and and talk about AI on this perspective. And I know everyone's got their hot take on AI these days, you know, from high school students cheating on their Shakespeare essays to, you know, the software developers looking for a quick solution to writing code. But I feel like it's something that's important to talk about. Um, I'm going to go really big. I'm going to pivot with a really big question. Is AI a threat to humanity? And I think where I come from this perspective, you know, I think it's interesting to look at it historically as well, because, um, you know, during the Industrial Revolution, when technology really had massive improvements, there were mass concerns that, you know, machines are going to replace humans, you know, there's going to be mass employment. We know that this wasn't the case, you know, we were able to develop and evolve and, you know, build more of an economy based on consumer goods that was able to drive that further. But I think we often think about acquiring more knowledge is always good. You know, if I have the knowledge of effective communication skills, I can communicate better with clients that I could not do before. Um, but I think what's also important to consider is this consequentialist perspective, you know, it, instead think about knowledge as neutral, you know, and we really have to know how we're going to use that knowledge in practice before judging where it has good or bad consequences. Um, and I think because, you know, technology like AI and machine learning, it's understood as the knowledge of specific technique skills and know-how, 
Um, I think it's important that this technology is kind of considered to be neutral and it's, it's really about how we decide to use it in society that determines if it has good or bad effects. Um, but maybe really that's well a question put. I wanted to propose, you know, how, how can we make sure that technologies like AI and machine learning are used for good? How do we avoid those harmful effects? I mean, people have been hearing my take on this for quite a few episodes. So, you know, I, I don't think it's ever going to replace humans. I just don't. Mm. Um, and I do think there's an ethical side of this that uh, AI companies just in general need to need to be addressing and need to be educating people on. So that those are like my takes right away. But a lot of people haven't heard from Brian in a while. So I'd love to hear your take, Brian. Well, it depends what you mean by replacing humans. Right. Because I think that there are specific tasks that only a human can do right now that AI will be able to take over and do. But I do not right, that does not mean that there is going to be less work for people to do. Right. I think of it as like, mm. right. AI is another, right. You started with the industrial revolution, right. All of these are like, Right. It's it's humanity like stacking infrastructure on top of itself and people always kind of sit on top of all of that. And we live on mm. top of the infrastructure that we've built for ourselves. And so I think that the the tasks will evolve and they right. So somebody right now that is doing something that maybe today or a year from now or five years from now is they're not going to need to do. Well, guess what? That just freed up a working member of the human population to take on whatever that next thing is um, that that needs to be done that we're not able to get to right now because we need to do the first thing. Uh, and if you think about it under that model, then the question of how are we using it and how are we governing this infrastructure that is mm. part of the bedrock of society, like that becomes a hugely clear like a hugely important question. Um, so I, the other I thing agree to think, with you there. The other thing yeah, to think about too is as Brian's talking about infrastructure too, it's, it's empowering organizations to do more with code, more with development of software and products than ever before at a much faster pace than they could if, if they had 30 engineers. You know, now they can yeah, do it with much less democratizing like even i saw something the other day like i of course have got like the google alert set up for chat gpt now <laughs> just so i can keep my finger on the pulse of it and i saw something like udemy or one of the like online learning companies that's huge right and, and they've made a big business out of doing online learning and guess what online learning was a much cheaper alternative to like in-person learning well guess what they like reported in their own investor statements or whatever it was that they took a huge hit in revenue in the last quarter or two, because so much of the, like, right. You can learn using these tools now, right. That's one of the like earliest good applications of a generalized chatbot, like a chat GPT is that it can be a great teacher on new subjects. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of so like lot ultimately, of ultimately it'll come down to the individual you know how we use it how how governments use this tool how businesses use this tool it's the technology and then its implementation in a bit that that kind of dictates if it's if it's good or if it's bad or yeah uh, if it's neutral i i do love um 
Some right, something like Chat GPT, and I think that that's been kind of like the recent spark, right? I think, uh, right, at least we talk about like the last six months, and it's it's been gaining momentum for a number of years now, but that has certainly been like an accelerant, and it's right. What what it did so brilliantly to me was it put it into the consumer's hands. Any consumer, mm. any human that has a computer can go to the website and they can talk to this thing about whatever the hell they want to talk to it about. And that insanely low barrier to entry and insanely broad set of things that you can use it for was a light bulb moment for the general public around how good this technology has gotten versus, right, so many, right, like a, a company like ours that is using this technology for a very specific function inside of a very specific type of business. Um, it doesn't have that, that broad exposure and what the broad exposure did in terms of like flipping that light bulb and like having people realize just how good it has gotten is like, that's powerful for anybody that's doing anything in AI. And, and for politicians, as they're looking at like, oh, do we want to worry about governing this? Or do we want to worry about this or this or this? Well, it's like, hey, that politician just needs to go to the <laughs> OpenAI website and play with it themselves. And it probably will change their perception about where it needs to rank on the priority list. It's, it's interesting because I, I think more and more AI companies are going to have like the government be visiting their website. Um, which is super interesting because like, it's just, it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's only going to get better. Um, it's only going to get better, but I do still come back to the fundamental belief. And by the time this episode airs, we would have done a digital event on this very topic about how there isn't, there's a big amount of fear around this and mm. the ethics behind it need to be educated deeply with the users not just with the vendors themselves but the vendors are responsible for educating that and that's that's something that i think that we're going to see a lot more of is the education around the ethics behind it because trust me i've seen deep fakes like you would not believe with this stuff and it's wild and it does scare me it scares like it scares a lot of people <laughs> um especially when it's put in the wrong hands so from from the perspective of just about anything in the world um, in the wrong hands, anything can be used as a weapon. Isn't and there like a quote of like, with great power comes great responsibility or something like that? That's that's in Avengers, and that's not old. Come on. I don't, it's just in mind, but it's kind of, but it's kind of a jest. Oh, it, it, it's at the same idea, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's true. Like, when you think about the internet, it can be a really scary and messed up place mm -hmm. and especially for younger kids right they get exposed to things that um are hard for them to overcome um i remember when i was like early days in high school the very first time that i had ever like been exposed to the internet and one of my buddies uh had like he's like oh you gotta watch this video it's crazy and it was like Okay, this is really bad, but it was like a very serious situation of somebody like killing somebody else. And I had never seen anything like that before. And it was on video. And I was like, mm. why did you show me that? And yeah. still, still to this day, I was a young high schooler. 
that whole that video is yeah. is ingrained in my mind yeah. and it's never gonna leave I have yeah, nightmares. Like we all had it. that friend growing up, somebody who was like, why, why did you show me this? Why did you yeah. click on this in the first place? Do you know? Yeah, for But also real. that peer pressure. You're like, well, my friends are looking at it, so I can't not look at it. Um, <laughs> so true. But no, don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Advice all right, to all the so, kids out there listening to Spamming Yeah, Zero. if there's any kids listening to this podcast. <laughs> all right, Connor. So we're going to... Mm we're going to table playing the game a little bit later. Cause I want to get into the topic at hand and that's the language yeah. topic. So yeah, you really just sent us on the, uh, you opened the AI can of worms for us right off the bat. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. You know, we'll get it over with. All right, we're done. No more. AI. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about language because I also think that, uh, you know, language when it comes to AI is also a really big thing that we can talk about too. So, mm. um, it's a big area right now for brands, especially, and, you know, you can either get it right or you can completely miss it. And you gave a few examples when we were talking, and I'd love for you to dive into some of those examples. But where do you think brands and customer experience folks um, get it wrong today? And, and where do you think that they can change that and, and try to do something that, that would work? Yeah, no, that's excellent, excellent question. So again, I think, you know, language is really important in, in building trust within every step of the customer experience journey. You know, when you're engaging with a new company or brand, you're taking those first steps and connecting, there needs to be trust. Um, you know, again, with every interaction and touch points, there needs to be trust. Otherwise, the client's going to be asking themselves questions like, am I being given the best information? You know, is my issue going to be taken care of? And even more so, you know, we see it when speaking to an AI service, you know, if it's a, a chatbot or a phone line automation service, you know, the customer needs to embrace a certain level of trust to really engage in a conversation um, with a robot. So I think in terms of areas where brands or CX folks are getting it wrong, there's, there's three main areas. One would be lack of consistency in the language itself. So inconsistency in language across all those touch points that the customer has with your brand, you know, website, social media, customer support, product uh, descriptions. Um, I think it also an issue in terms of lack of clarity. So language that's vague or ambiguous, you know, areas where you can create confusion and frustration for customers, you know, brands really need to make sure that their language is clear, concise, and easy to understand, especially for anything that's challenging or, or nuanced or, you know, easy to get misunderstood. And then lastly, like a, a big point is, you know, jargon, technical terms, you know, big no, make sure that your language is accessible to all customers, you know, use language that is plain and easily understood by your target audience. You know, that's what's going to help deliver that communication uh, and, and keep things, you know, transparent and connected. I mean, I don't claim to be perfect at this. Hmm. But it is one thing that drives me wild about marketing and branding just in general is going to a website and you hear all these like huge buzzwords and all these things that people are just trying to use filler words and it makes no sense, right? I don't claim to be perfect at that because we solve some things that we're trying to figure out, right? Mm. But I do think um, one of the most telling exercises you can you can get into is um, find somebody who has young children and that that can read and have them go to the website and tell you what they do. 
<laughs> and if you if the, if that 10 year old 11 year old can't do it there's likely a huge part of the population that won't understand it and let me mm. put this in perspective for a second i talk a lot about accessibility on this podcast and outside this podcast and you mentioned it as well there is a huge amount of the world's population that still cannot read and write plain and simple. They just can't do it. Right. They either didn't have the education. That's most of the time, not their fault, or they just don't, they just can't because of disabilities and other reasons. So we have to also understand that there's a language barrier when it comes to accessibility as well. Mm. And it's, and it's bigger than I think most brands realize it is. Um, and there's an untapped population out there that is a huge revenue stream and much more loyal than you might see on the surface. If you can accomplish being accessible to them and through the language barriers that might exist through language, just in general and providing them channels that are also accessible um, outside of just text and, 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 and email and SMS. So what are your thoughts around that? I, I agree. I agree with everything that you're saying. Those are all right. You and I have kind of ping ponging those ideas around the two things that my mind is jumping to are number one, like I'm curious what the journey has been for you, Connor, to land on those three kind of like mm. pillar issues and like things like to focus on. Um, and then the second thing is, right? Essence is a huge brand, right? Like we, mm. we have the, we're not as big as Essence. Uh, and like most consumer brands are not as big as Essence. They're like smaller or they're younger or whatever it is, um, but they're not at the maturity. They haven't seen, they haven't gotten as big as Essence has. So I'm curious how at Essence, you guys manage this across so many departments, across so many different um, like channels of interaction, like, and You've been very clear in your language in your language that this is not just something inside of your team. It's something that exists end to end in the customer journey. So, what are you tapping into at a company wide level that allows you to fit with that broader kind of brand? Mm. No, really, really good questions, and I guess that that can pivot to sort of where I feel like this really first spoke to me as an initiative and something that I wanted to action uh, within the team. Again, um, as mentioned at the start, I'm, I'm quickly known as the, the chat man and everything that I had really taken ownership over was related to our live chat services. Um, and there, there was a moment, uh, it was actually just this past September, so not even that long ago, um, when you know, digging through the macro content that we had on chat for our agents um, and realizing that there was really big inconsistencies even between, you know, the pre-canned content that we were delivering directly to clients, um, which was a huge problem because it meant that if, you know, what what's established in the system to communicate to our clients isn't consistent, it means that the agents themselves, you know, they're learning from these macro contents and it's providing an inconsistent experience for them as well in terms of the language that they use, uh, in terms of the way that language is communicated. So we ended up doing a, a massive overhaul where we essentially, you know, had 
all of our topics in a spreadsheet and then we're mapping out all of the macros relative to those contents um to those topics rather um but in the process there was you know obviously different team members we were working with and we were noticing a challenging and having even really clear alignment even though we had the same idea of what we needed to do um it wasn't clear exactly how we were going to get that consistency so what we ended up doing, you know, and this was just within our department, um, was developing a tonal and style guideline. So really coming into an alignment in terms of how do you want our tone to be presented, you know, trying to be in line with the the brand identity that Essence has. Um, and then having really clear guidelines in terms of how we're going to deliver that to our content. Um, and we got really, really detailed with it, you know, some big wins that came out of it, you know, things like making sure that we're using contractions in all of our, our, mm. our words. So we're, you know, we're never using cannot, but we're using can, you know, comma T. So that way it has more of a conversational feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it feels more like you're, you're, you're talking with a friend as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, you know um, something that's overly professional. Um, we made sure that there was really clear language when referring to our internal departments, you know, the warehouse can also be referred to as the fulfillment center, as the distribution center. Um, and that can be confusing to clients if you're using all these different words to refer to the same thing. So we set clear guidelines. It needs to be distribution center, you know, lowercase, um, and you know we 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 went really deep in terms of like both punctual elements but as well in terms of um the the you know the tone and the voice and having key descriptors and we were then able to apply like essentially a series of checks like is this in line with this guide yes or no no okay we need to change it we need to do something about it um That's and i think awesome. maybe what's also important is that like we we just started doing this you know within chat um, and it's something that doesn't you know it, it can with a company that's as big as essence it can be terrifying to think about how do we scale something across all departments across everybody and the first big thing that you can do is just take a look at what you can control and what you can align and and zero in even further you know within the cx team okay let's start just within chat and let's drive these guidelines for a chat um so 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 yeah. that was sort of my process in, in working that's through awesome. that that's awesome. You always, yeah, I, I love the approach of like starting small and then you build it out from there. What, like how much guidance is there in terms of the brand identity though? And then, right, it sounds like there was some like, hey, we want to match our tone and style in CX to the company-wide brand identity. Like is that, uh, right, is that some like 30-page massive internal bible or is that like we've seen some cool ones we've seen like hey like here's a yeah. section on our youtube page and this is like the introduction to the brand and the expression of it that everybody gets exposed to like how do you guys manage that yeah no that's that's a really good point and i think like you know we can kind of see this maybe with other brands more so like you know if you're like like a, a surfboard company and we go into the chat they have like a you know, like a what's up dude greeting, you know, mm -hmm. um, kind of like more tailored to that identity. Um, I guess the, the thing with Essence is that it really does have that sort of like avant-garde, like minimal, like really, really like 
let's just give you exactly what you need and nothing more, you know, in terms of that, like how the website is presented. It's, it's very simple, you know, it's just white brands on one side, you know, like, like sizing and like product descriptors on the other images, like white, white backgrounds of the models and the, the website is white. So it all kind of blends together. So we kind of took that approach. We're going to have, you know, more conversational, obviously we're going to be empathetic, but we're going to be like, a little bit more neutral. We're not going to have like, um, you know, like, like these taglines or greetings or this like overly sort of like punchy identity. It's going to be a little bit more reserved. And luckily that, that made it, if I had to edit all these macros to have like surfing sort of references, <laughs> or, you know, like, like really, t- I think that would have been like the, the nail in the coffin. I would have been, yeah. you know, this is too much. <laughs> How do we make think- this like more radical, <laughs> more gnarly? You know, that, that luckily wasn't an initiative we had to, to take on with this. How do you balance though, the, the macros and the adherence to that stuff with, right? with like wanting your dialogue and, and the way that your team is communicating mm-hmm. to like, to be human and to be like relevant to the context of the conversation, right? Like there's always the example of somebody reaches out and before they actually get to what their issue is or what they need to get fixed, they start out with sharing something about their life, right? Maybe it's mm-hmm. a pet that died, or maybe it's like they haven't slept. They just pulled an all nighter. Like who know? maybe they're on a road trip to a certification somewhere, like how do you try and balance the macros and that core with, hey, we want to be human and we want to be here mm. with our customers and we want to show that we're paying attention? No, that's, I mean, like, I think that that's a really good question. And I think that's something that's is sort of like where where we really try to empower our agents to fill in those blanks between the macro content. You know, the macro is the tool to get you there, but you need to to bring it that hundred percent. Um, there may be empathy macros that you can use to kind of guide where you're gonna go, but at the end of the day, you need to take that personalization and own that. So you you're never gonna be able to to put that in that canned content. You know, it's 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 gonna be like the client's gonna have to find like dog died greeting, you know, to be able to send that that <laughs> exact phrasing to that that client that had that experience. So um, I do th- really try to see that balance. I do think that there's an opportunity though, um in the in the future where we're gonna see more uh personalization and I'll give you like one example. Okay. When my kids who are like my two older kids, they're in high, like just barely getting into high school, barely driving. Right. So they're the young generation and I hear them like talk and I think it's a foreign language. I don't understand anything they're saying. Like there's words that they use and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. That's not even in the English language. It's it's literally not in the dictionary. (laughs) I don't know what you're saying. Uh, So whatever. Um, And I do think that there's an opportunity that AI can help scale this. Mm. So two things, one, Uh We're circling back. Yeah. We are uh, circling back. You know what's coming. <laughs> There's a reason. You'll see. So one, we need to invoke more emotion in 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 mm. all language, right? This is why emojis were created. And I apparently overuse them because my team gives me crap about it. Um, and I don't know how to use them. And that's also <laughs> what they give me crap about. So it is what it is, right? But I'm trying. I'm trying to use those emotional moments. Um, and 
I think that there's two areas that actually AI can help us scale uh, much faster than we could building these like flow builders um, ourselves. And one of them is the translation of language from one um, dialect and one language to another. So English to Spanish, um, Spanish to French, French to German, right? Um, to Mandarin Chinese. I think that the the AI and the generative AI will help us scale those things faster than we ever could. Because typically as an organization, you'd have to have experts in those language that know them, know how to translate them. And I think mm. it's going to allow scale to happen at a much faster pace where you're going to have support languages that are going to be able to um, help many brands across many different countries and, and language barriers. So I think there's one. The other one is this generational gap that exists. I have this funny feeling that we're going to see chatbots. I mean, look, Connor, you likely with some of your customers probably get the their birthday somewhere along the journey. Maybe, maybe. Mm. I think a lot of e-commerce brands do. If you have their birthday, that means you know kind of like generally speaking what what generation they're in. And like millennials talk a certain way, boomers talk a certain way, Gen Z, Gen Y talk a certain way. And I think AI is going to start capturing that and figuring out ways in which you could take a script in a chat and you could say, all right, I want you to build this for Gen Z, Gen Y, boomers, millennials. And I want you to make sure that it's the same general concepts. You're sending them down the same yeah. journey, but it's spoken in the language of their choice. And then that's personalized when they actually come to the website. I do think that that is the future of what will happen. And I think it will resonate more with people. That would be incredible. Just to be able to have these placeholders, like like insert empathy placeholder for Gen Z, like close bracket. <laughs> 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 and then you like got... the, the content of the message, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because I think the boomers want to, the boomers want, they want to get on the phone. They want to talk. They want to like, tell you their story. Uh, mm. They want to tell you about all the times that they had to walk in two feet of snow, going to school, all those things, you know, like, um, like they, they want to talk about how hard their life was. Not that their life is any harder than anyone else's. Um, Cause I, I think that that's a little bit of a fallacy, but whatever. Sorry, all of you boomers out there. <laughs> but it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth though. Like, right. Um, and and I think every generation has a unique way in which they like being dealt with. And we're seeing this firsthand with all this technology. Um, I think we're seeing a generation, like at least for my kids, I have like a weird gap with my kids. Like I have uh, a seven and a 10 year old and then a 14 and a 16 year old. And like my seven and 10 year old have adopted like AI and technology way faster than I planned. And we don't even allow our kids on technology very much at all. Like we're kind of weird like that. And so like, if you imagine these kids that are growing up that, that are like just entrenched with technology all the time, like you, you actually can't even go to a public school nowadays or a private school nowadays without it being primarily on technology. And so you have this gap of people like us who I think do have a lot of fear of AI but I think you're having another generation that's going to grow up that is going to be like, you either have AI or get out of here, 
right? Mm. Like I genuinely think that that's what's going to happen because like my kids, man, if you took their Alexa away, it would be real trouble in our home, like real trouble. <laughs> Real trouble. Uh, Brian saw a video of my kids uh, singing, belted a song today. And it was, uh, you just can't take it away from them. It's one of those things that like, it's, it's become part of their nightly routine. They, li- they literally listen to like night sounds through Alexa now. Right. So. I agree. 100%. I think you're going to, you're going to see an adoption 100%. of this. Yeah. I, I love the way that you both have sort of framed it where there's this gap between the macro and the perfect, true human empathetic response. And, mm-hmm. and that exists in a situation where the human is ultimately responding or a situation where the AI is ultimately responding. And I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out here to uh, one of our partners, High Operator. So they've been doing a lot of different experiments in, in ways that they can use uh, large language models and, and all, all this new technology. Um, and they are a, they're a combination of a chatbot and a BPO. So they have the technology and they also have the people. And uh, they've always relied primarily on like a human in the loop situation where um, the AI will be responsible for basically matching up what the customer said to the macros on the back end and then feeding those macros right up for the agent. And then the agent ultimately is the one that's going to click send, right? So that's your like human in the loop assisted by AI to make the whole thing more efficient. That's the way that they've always run. They ran an experiment where, um, I'm sorry that I'm stealing your thunder, Liz, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) They basically ran an experiment where they did, instead of human in the loop, they did chat GPT in the loop. And they said, okay, instead of, taking the context of this conversation and then matching it to the macro and then having the human layer on those like personal empathetic elements. Let's instead have the personal empathetic elements layered on by ChatGPT based on the transcript of the conversation as it had happened. So feeding in the same information that the agent has. And they looked at their CSAT scores that were coming out the wash at the end when it was human in the loop and when it was chat GPT in the loop and the CSAT scores went up, uh, which was just like a fat, like crazy, right? That is a, that's a light bulb moment for AI and Mm. CX around how good it is. And it's this specific use case, right? Like a huge part of CSAT, a huge, right? Whether you're judging the quality of an agent or you're judging the quality of an AI, you're judging the quality of anything. Uh, A huge part of it, it's that, it's that gap between the macro and what ultimately gets said. And it's that empathetic human contextual piece of it. And I think there is, right, the best agents have always been the ones that did the best there. It's not that the bad agents can't find the right macro. Like most people can solve that piece of the puzzle. Um, And it's fascinating to, yeah, I agree. I think that there's a huge opportunity for AI to take that leap as well. I mean, if you really think about it, none of us really want, like, okay, I shouldn't say none of us. That's not the right way to say it. But the majority of us that I have talked to typically don't want to talk to a human if they don't have to. What they want Mm. is to be served quickly. They want to be able to get their answer fast and they want to be able to move on. And they want it to not take any time of their day. If it does take a time in their day, then it pisses people off and they 
that's typically when then then they're talking to customer service when they're already upset, you know, because it had to come out of their day. Especially when it comes to language. Like, I think that hey, this there, there's an opportunity here that just is so, it's so amazing to me. And it's so broad and big that I think that we're going to see a massive amount of adoption with this stuff, even with the fear. But I still, just for the, the, the audience out there, I do think that it's still got a ways to go, right? Um, it's still got a ways to go before people themselves can adopt the technology and actually do something that is meaningful with it. Like if it wasn't for Liz going and like doing this themselves, you, you wouldn't have seen something like that happen. But they, the, it took humans looking at the AI model and seeing how they could apply it. And then it took the creative response from Liz and her team to figure it out so that it was meaningful and impactful and so that it would improve the CSAT scores. And I think that's the distinguishing difference between, you know, bots and humans, right? It's not bots versus humans. It's what what is going to be the middle ground that is going to make both sides flourish. And ultimately, they both are going to need to, right? All right, Connor, we're going to play a game. We're going to mix it up. Let's do it. We've been talking about language for a little bit. We do this now on most of our podcasts. Uh, this is going to be new to Brian, too. Um, we we play the game FMK, but instead of doing the F, we're going to do a little word, different word. <laughs> what would keep, you kill keep about... clean rating on the yeah. podcast. I it's guess, funny. You know. We're explicit, but I have to keep it clean because I made a promise to my kids. You know, they do listen to this thing. <laughs> you could just put the beep in, though. Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. true. But then they would be, be like, funny, Dad, we yeah. know what you said. They, that's yeah. what they would say. And then they would go to my, yeah, my no, wife yeah. at the dinner table. Then they'd be like, Mom, Dad did it again. <laughs> okay, so what would you kill about customer experience today? Excellent, excellent question. I think what I would kill about customer experience right now um, is companies thinking that they need to maximize their omni-channel strategy to provide service and everything when they're not able to really handle that volume. So, you know, taking on phone, email, chat, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, you know, whatever the new channel is, um, but not having the staffing to deliver great service in all of those channels, I think that should just be cut out. Just if you have strong channels, dial in, focus in on that to build those up. And when you're ready to take extra channels on, go for that. But I think, you know, there's, there's no point in having a channel open if, if, you know, you're not going to get replies, you know, within a reasonable time. What do you love and you want to keep? Answers. No, you don't get an answer. This is a rapid fire. What do, you <laughs> ask, Brian? What, what do you love about customer experience right now? Yes. What I, what I love about customer experience, uh, again, tapping into the AI topic, but capturing the emotional sentiment of customers that I find really, really exciting. Um, you know, being able to show how customers are feeling, thinking, interacting with your brand, um, and then more so being able to really use that data to leverage customer sentiments to improve experiences, you know, introduce content and context between what are the data points of sentiment so you can really build a story on what your customers are feeling uh, and, and also get a lot more information on that. You know, CSAT surveys only give you a fraction of what your customer is thinking, but if you're tapping into that sentiment element, you can really get so much more content. 
And what is innovative or sexy right now in customer experience? Mm. Yes, for this, I would say the new trend of asynchronous messaging, um, which for people who aren't familiar with this, this is where you can use a messaging platform like, you know, like WhatsApp, iMessage, Facebook, et, et cetera, to speak with your clients in the same way that they would communicate with their friends. Um, so, you know, you think about like a traditional customer experience, the ticket opens when the issue starts and it's solved when that issue ends. In this case, it's, it's like an endless conversation that you have. So, um, it's, it's streamlined in that regard, but as well, it means that both parties don't need to be concurrently active. So, you know, rather than waiting for an immediate response, a user can, you know, send a message, like a text message to essence continue on with their day, they'll get a text back, maybe they're busy, I'll deal with it later, text back. And it's it's more of that interaction of, I think, working with a, a brand or communicating with a brand the same way that you communicate with your friends um, that I find to be really exciting. Love it. All right, Brian, now we're gonna do you. Same questions, but I'm gonna say them again. What would you kill about customer experience today? <laughs> I would kill the norm and what seems to have become socially acceptable of only offering customer service during business hours. Because as oh, we've established, get me started. <laughs> as we've established, these are tasks on people's to-do list that they need to take care of and the implication is that my time is more important than yours. You're the customer, you have a problem, but my time's more important than yours. So you can only call me when I'm doing business, when it's convenient for me or call, text, email, whatever. You can't do it when it's convenient for you. Uh, and this idea that like your customers aren't also busy doing business during business hours and thus, right? Like obviously the time for them to cross items off their to-do list is after hours. And those are the times that you're not there. Uh, so I think that that's all broken. I think that most consumers would be so excited if the model was flipped and they could only contact support on evenings, mornings, and the weekends, and they couldn't do it during the day because nobody actually wants to do it during the day anyways. <laughs> that's what I would We tell. are going to do a, me and you are going to do a solo episode and it's just going to be us hosts. And we're going to do a whole episode just on that because I feel like we could talk about that for a while. What do you love about customer experience right now? The softball answer is AI. That's the self-fulfilling answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll I'll broaden it beyond AI. I think that I think that there's a, a level of enthusiasm around customer experience and around like the amount of progress that can be made, just how much better it can be done today than it could be done five or ten years ago. And you really feel that enthusiasm. And I don't want to imply that it is like a generational gap kind of thing, but like there are a lot of young people that are passionate about this like industry and the energy around it is, is just awesome right now. Yeah, completely agree. All right. What's sexy right now about customer experience to you? <laughs> um, I'll go, I, I think that like the AI fits well there. 
Um, Brian cheated. See, he didn't answer the questions like he was supposed well, to. Well, totally. I, I think that the 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 new piece of information I'll put on it, it, like, I think we've gotten a taste of what the potential is, and I think that there is excitement. I think that there is also fear, and I think that the fear is just as well grounded as the excitement is, and um. Yeah, I think that, like, people need to understand it and and understand what exactly is the AI going to be doing. Because this idea of, like, AI is going to do my CX, like, okay, there's a mil- – right, we, we talked earlier in the show about specific tasks, right? And we even gave the example, of, right, in the high operator example of, like, the steps of a call that an agent is going through in the interaction, like – what exactly are you having the AI do? And um, and then I worry a lot also about just like getting into bed with the wrong vendors where you're sold a package of goods that is not reality and you're sold, you're going to have the Manhattan skyline tomorrow. And in reality, you're left on the curb with a big bill the instant you sign the contract. Um I think that there's now there's, now, there's the meat. There it is. All right, Connor. So we're going to shift gears for a little bit. We did FMK. Now we are going to dive back into the topic one more time because I want to finish off the episode by giving your top two tips on what brands can do to simplify language. Maybe give a couple of examples that you've seen um, at Essence. Yes, definitely. So, I mean, one of the biggest steps, and I know I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to repeat it because I found it to be extremely helpful for us in our organization, is develop a tonal and style guideline that can be used across all of those touch points of the customer experience and really kind of use this as, you know, your 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 North Star that kind of guides the way in which you can um, find ways to develop communication that is streamlined. You know, on a CX level, I think this can be used as a great resource as, you know, again, as we mentioned, uh, a reference to the development of macro content, both for the macros that's available for your agents, but as well, if you have a, a chat bot or any sort of automation service that can also feed back into that communication. You know, this can also be something that is used in quality assurance reviews. So if you have the QA team or if you're a team leader and you're going through, um, you know, conversations directly. This is a great thing that you can point to and guide like, oh, this is how we can phrase things, format things. So we really hit on our key points. Um, This can be used for mass or widespread communication strategies. So if, you know, like a big batch of orders is being delayed and we need to let customers know it's going to take a few days later than anticipated, we need to make sure that communication is aligned and fully in check on that front. So really making sure that your language is consistent, clear, and strong on all touch points. Um, you know, have a framework, have something for people to reference and work from um, that really, really helps for, for team alignment. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of some examples and ways that can be really effective. Um, you know, one point that I brought up is making sure that the communication that you have uh, avoids any jargon or technical terms. 
and I think this is a really important. I know as agents or people that work within a team or processes, we can get really caught up in the ways that we refer to things. Uh, and within an organization, people love their acronyms. We love to shorten things. You know, a big one that we have at Essence is called PDNR, which means package delivered, not received. That means the tracking says it was delivered. That means the client says they never got that parcel. Um, and I've seen agents use that in communication. You know, oh, I see that this is a PDNR. The, <laughs> the clients, what are you talking about? I have no clue what that <laughs> means. You know, like just hitting a wall on that point. Um, so again, having a tool like this, you can really clearly guide and give reference, you know, let's, let's cut this out. And I think like, like another example, of course, is just really making sure that you're able to understand your clients. I think to, to circle back on that point of accessibility of language, um, you know, at essence, we recognize that we have a very large client base, uh, some of our clients, English is their second language. Um, and it's important to make sure that you communicate in line with that. So I know one thing that I've seen is that some customers have used the word cancel in reference to canceling an item. Um, and what's had happened is we've ended up canceling the entire order in some cases because that communication isn't fully verified or aligned. So I think making sure that you have those touch points to really understand your customer um, can prevent those kind of hiccups from occurring. I, I love that last example because I, I, I want to give our audience a few more. If you just, if you think about just the language barrier between just the English language alone. Okay. I'm going to give you some examples here. Home flat. What's the difference? They mean the same thing, but those that are saying them and depending on which location that they're at, actually mean the same thing, but if you said it in one place, one person wouldn't understand what you're saying, right? Another one happened today in our, in our team chat. One of our, uh, one of our folks from the UK was talking about how our CRO hung up on her <laughs> and she called it, he buttoned me, right? Okay. So Listen, people, this is, this is a real world. This is real world stuff. <laughs> like I we like laugh at this. Start using that moving forward, actually, you know, but I it's... actually just buttoned my girlfriend. She called me right now and I was like, nope, <laughs> can't talk right now. <laughs> but it's 100% relevant because how we interpret language is also an important part about the barrier of it. And not everyone interprets it the same way especially if they're coming from a situation where English is their second language and they're trying to translate that. I got news for you. There's a lot of people out there that will try to use Google translate to do it for them and it will get it wrong. So you're at the mercy of that as well. So I love that last example that you gave, because I do think that is it. That is so big to me um, in so many ways. All right, Connor. We're going to end the episode by asking you one last question because no one gets away without answering this one. Mm. Tell us about a wild experience or adventure that you've had in your life that's really left you like speechless and like you, you can't believe it. Yeah, this, this is a really good question. So for this, we're going to pivot away from customer experience to tie things up. Um, so a little fun fact about myself uh, is that I moonlight as a musician sort of 
in the the fleeting evenings and and weekends outside of my CX grind. Um, I have. We should have uh, talked project... about that, Connor. What the heck? <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll finish on it. You know, I, I don't want to make it too much of it. Just a discussion about anything that's unrelated to CX. But uh, yeah, I have a, a project with my girlfriends called Mutually Feelings. So we have um, make sort of like ethereal dance music i i work the machines you know the drum machines the synthesizers she sings she has more of a personality you know i'm i'm just nervously looking at buttons <laughs> so we we kind of we traded off that way but there was one time we did a performance uh in southampton which is is just outside of london um and this is you know we were a little bit younger we were doing what was kind of like a hybrid vacation tour. So we were going to Europe and playing a few shows here and there, but not like a traditional, like, oh, we're going to do 20 dates in 30 days. Um, it was a lot more casual. So uh, anyways, we did this one show in Southampton. Um, essentially what happens is we arrive in this new foreign city, you know, we're kind of all, you know, star-eyed. And we meet with the promoter and we find out that the venue that they had booked for the night had fallen through. So they don't have the space. So they're kind of freaking out. Um, you know, both of us work in events, you know, we've been through and we know how crises come up and you kind of just need to be solution oriented and just, just find a way to work through it. So it what kind of ensued was this really incredible tourist experience where we were kind of exploring through the city with these guys with this like underlying tension of like, okay, we need to figure out how to make the show work for tonight. <laughs> so, awesome. you know, we're in their car, they're on their phones, they're messaging all their friends. Like, does anybody have like a, a you know, a flat where we could throw like a house party for tonight? Or, you know, we're kind of going around, we're saying, okay, no, that's not going to work. Okay, no, that's not going to work. At, at one point we ended up going to like a, a squat you know, where it was like totally abandoned. And my girlfriend was like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> There's no running water. We can't do the show here. Um, eventually, like, you know, the Hail Mary passed. These guys managed to find a space. There was like a kind of like, like a university style, like house. So they're like, okay, we'll do a house party. Um, you know, end up meeting these people and be like, okay, we're going to, you know, take apart your living room and turn it into a dance floor. <laughs> like, like, let me take the couch and, you know, get this out of your house. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, a really incredible experience, you know, like it was this crisis. We managed to really like problem solve, work through it. You know, we're kind of there to support them. We've been in their shoes before uh, and it was a really fun show. So the end of the day is you never know what might happen with that adventure, but the best thing is just to really have a positive attitude and, you know, be there to support on it. I love that. Connor, you've been an absolute pleasure today. Brian, thanks for coming back to the show. It's thanks been awesome. Having... Thank you. <laughs> of course, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Was if awesome. you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, we're here every week. So we'll have a new episode every single week. And give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to hear from a guest that we have not had on the show yet, hit me up on LinkedIn and I'd ha be happy to reach out to them and see if we can get them on. Thanks again to all of our listeners out there. We'll see you next week. <laughs>